You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. It's now time for A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. From amazing stories to colorful personalities, join us as we go in-depth with the men and women that make up the Oakland Athletics Organization. It all starts right now. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. We've got some big names for you. It's one of the things we really pride ourselves with our live talk show, A's Cast Live, is bringing the biggest names in the sport whether it's players who are currently playing or guys that are greats that are like Hall of Famers. Check out the names we have for you today. Former A and one of the greatest relief pitchers of all time, Hall of Famer Goose Gossage. We're also going to hear from one of the great starters of all time, one of the great Tigers, won World Series with the Twins and with the Blue Jays, Jack Morris Hall of Famer. And then celebrating the 1989 A's World Championship team, Carney Lansford and Terry Steinbach. I got to talk to both of them at the same time. And then the guy that's one of our all-time favorites, Kurt Young, former pitching coach and a starting pitcher for the Oakland Athletics, also on that 1989 World Championship team. So we're going to start with a guy that Goose Gossage was an absolute star. I mean, his career, nine-time All-Star, World Series champion, three-time AL Saves leader, AL Rolades Relief Man Award in 1978. What a great pitcher he was. Here is the Hall of Famer, Goose Gossett. Goose, welcome to A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. Great to bring you back. Hey, Chris. How you doing? I, I'm doing wonderful, and this is a real honor for me because i got to tell you, as a kid growing up in San Diego, you came to the Padres in 1984, and I was in Little League, and at that time I was a shortstop, but what they did was they would bring me in in the last inning, and I would come get everybody out, and you were so popular in San Diego that they started calling me Goose in Little League, and I used to carry around your your baseball card in my backpack. I did it for years, so let me tell you, someone grew up watching you. Uh, it, it's an absolute honor to have you on this program now. Well, thanks, Chris. You know, that was one of – I look upon my time in San Diego and going there in 84 and turning on a city for the first time and being a part of that was such a special – you know, that was a very, very good team. Uh, you know, they needed two pieces of the puzzle uh, when I went out there, and, and uh, they needed a relief pitcher, and then they needed a uh, third baseman. I – came as went by way of free agency and then i think they traded for nettles the following spring so when we started that season man we you know tony gwynn uh alan wiggins leading off we were first and third uh you know and we had a run on the board uh the first inning about every game so you know that was a lot of fun turning on the city like i said for the first time so I just had Steve Vucinich on, our longtime equipment manager. Man who's been oh, here since yeah. he said to say hello, and he was telling a story about uh, I think Cripple Creek is where you had your retirement party, and said it was an absolute blast. Yeah, 
Yeah, we had a great time. I, uh, my my family um, threw that thing for me. We had a little benefit that we we the, uh, little charity thing and invited. Uh, <clears throat> we flew in all you know whoever I wanted. You know some of my favorite teammates, managers, uh, pitching coaches. Uh, uh, you know just you know all the way back to Chuck Tanner, my first manager. So people at that thing so yeah we did have it steve was you know one of the my favorite all-time uh clubhouse guys you know also growing up when you were with the yankees i mean you were at the height of your power you were goose gossage you were up there snarling you were mean everybody was scared of you and, and you just weren't pitching in the ninth inning you could come in the seventh and the eighth and it was a crazy time in New York, not only in New York City, but for the Yankees. What was it like putting on those pinstripes and playing during that time in the '70s through the '80s? Oh, you know, I, I, you know, I got to play for nine different teams in the big leagues, and you know, Chris, I loved every team and every moment that I spent in the big leagues, all 22, almost 22 years, and. And, uh, you know, the nine teams, uh, like I said, it was special on every team. So, um, you know, but I grew up a Yankee fan. My mom and dad, my whole family were huge Yankee fans. And then, man, when I put the pinstripes on, uh, thank God I had uh, six years in the big leagues already under my belt because I don't think I would have would have survived that. I The pressure, you know, I came in to the Yankees uh, – in 78 they'd won in 77 they were world champions sparky lyle is the cy young award relief he's a reliever how many relievers i think there's two or three relievers that's ever won the cy young award and and sparky was one of those guys in 77 and i came over there when george signed me as a free agent after i left pittsburgh um you know, it was one of those things where I went over there thinking that I was going to be the best. We were going to be the best right-handed, left-handed combination ever. And they, you know, they proceeded to give me Sparky's. They they put Sparky on the bench. How do you take a Cy Young Award winner's job? I, you know, it was just mind-boggling. And then, and then putting on the pinstripes on top of them giving me Sparky's job. And Sparky was very popular. Everybody loved Sparky. I love Sparky. And, uh, you know, had it been anybody else, I don't think we would have, our, you know, re- relationship would have e- even survived that. But uh, it was a crazy time. And, you know, that 15 games or 14 games when we were out, um, it's the greatest comeback in history. It's inscribed in the on the underneath of our rings on the inside. It said the greatest comeback in history. No one has ever come back in late July from 14 games back and we ended up forcing that one game playoff with the Red Sox and it was a the most roller coaster year that I've ever spent it by far in the big leagues I went from you know crap house to <laughs> you know castle man you know and shit house to castle you know and, and uh, all in one season I've never been and I don't think any of the other guys had ever been through anything so emotionally low and so emotionally high, and then we were, ended up repeating as world champions. But what I was going to say, Chris, it would have never been the greatest comeback in history if I hadn't dug us that deep hole early joining the Yankees. So you asked me about joining the Yankees. It was, it was, 
you know, I get to the mound and Munson had asked me, how are you going to lose this one? And before <laughs> I couldn't believe he asked me that, I, I said, I don't know, you little son of a, you know, I'd be cursing at him. I'd be screaming obscenities at him. And he's running back laughing back to home plate because he'd say, how you got, really? lose a game i could invent ways to lose games it was amazing and, and uh, it was a nightmare it was a nightmare it was the lowest part of my whole career uh in on any team uh it was the worst i'd ever worst stretch i'd ever gone through what was it for you to be that menacing hard throwing i'm coming after everybody that was you had that persona that people were scared of you what was that like and how did you build that to where you wanted everybody who got in that box to be scared of you well you know the intimidation thing was never thing something that i i consciously thought about i thought you know uh it was just the way i was you know people go man you are not at all like you were on the mound teammates they go man if i knew how the way the way you really are i wouldn't be that scared but when i was on that mound chris i i would i would look at a hitter and i would go man i would not want to be you and because i pitched in her half and when a ball when you pitch in her half that's a that's a really really fine line between making that pitch and then a ball if you get behind it a little bit where your body's out front and your arms lagging a little bit that ball ends up around your head, and it was it it ended up being a a great purpose pitch. And Dick Dick Allen taught me that. It was amazing. Dick Dick Allen. One of the most special things that ever happened to me in the big league was Dick Allen took me under his wing and taught me how to pitch. This is 1972. I'm a rookie. He takes me under his wing, and you know I could locate. I could throw, you know, 95 to a exactly where I was going to throw that pitch that hard. And so he taught me where to make that pitch up up and in. Not up and in, I don't mean Adam. I mean uh, inner half up. And he said, we as hitters see that ball, but he said, God can't hit it. And But when I missed with that, it ended up being a great purpose pitch because it was right at your head. So guys were really scared that, you know, I, I hit three guys intentionally in 22 years. I hit a lot of guys, but I only hit three intentionally. <laughs> Two deserved it. Two of them deserved it, and one of them didn't. <laughs> so, Oh, it's an honor to have the great Goose Gossage here on A's Cast Live. And take us back to your time in Oakland, because you showed up in 1992, very good ball club, and you made the postseason. Well, it was it was awesome. You know, I spent really two. I loved I loved the Bay Area. I always loved coming out there, even as a visiting player. You know, we'd come back from the east, and it was steamy back east. You know, the 110 index and stuff like that, crazy humidity and and heat. Then we'd go out there in the Bay Area. It was cool, and oh my God. It was like a breath of fresh air, that that cool, you know, that cool Bay Area. And, man, it was invigorating, and you felt strong. I always felt strong coming out there. But I always loved the people out there in the Bay Area, young, energetic, enthusiastic. You know, they were great fans in that, you know, the giant. 
and the A's have great fans. Uh, and it was a great place to play. I got to play both places and, and loved every moment uh, in both places. You know, we've been promoting grassroots baseball. This book is just fascinating. Uh, we had Gene on. We also had uh, Jeff Idelson on yesterday. And this book is very special and going for a great cause. And, and tomorrow there's going to be a signing. But just talk about how you've gotten involved with gra- grassroots baseball. Well, Jeff asked me to do a couple of appearances for him, you know, with the kids and talk to the kids. And I think I did three or four different uh, places. I did Chicago, I did uh, Albuquerque, and I did, uh, gosh, where were we? The I can't even remember the other one. I've been so many places. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful program. And uh, gloves and, and balls and... And I gave, you know, a little lesson as, you know, quick as it was. And it was amazing to see these kids that had never even played catch. They were actually catching the ball before this thing was over. They're throwing balls and they're pitching. And you should have seen the improvement and you should have seen, you know, that's the most gratifying thing about coaching kids is is seeing the, the strides that they make. Uh, you know, because baseball is such a – I think it's the most difficult game on the planet. You know, what else can you fail at seven out of ten times and be a star? Somebody, The only other thing that anybody's ever told me uh, that you could fail at seven out of ten times was a, a weatherman. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a hard game. And when these kids see the strides that they make and only – a half hour or 45 minutes out there with instruction and working with them. Um, you know, it's amazing. And, the, and this one couple of them said, Hey, I'm going out for the, I'm going to go play baseball. I said, absolutely. And I said, never give up on it. I said, because you've got to practice it. It doesn't just happen. And there are so many great facets of the game uh, that, that take a lot of skill to play. You know, and, and I wanted to ask so you. So the program is the the great to those absolute roots. So uh, it is. It's a cool program. Yeah, and we're going to promote the heck out of it here on, on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live, and of course, the big signings tomorrow. As we're going to have huge crowds here for the A's and the Giants in the Bay Bridge series. You know, I always. Oh yeah. I always love – I've been back to the Baseball Hall of Fame three times, and I went to the induction ceremony in 99 for Brett, Yount, and Nolan Ryan. And I love when you guys get together and you guys do the interviews. And just what is that time like for you? Is truly one of the game's greats to once a year to, to be around your peers. And this is one of the special teams. Being in the Baseball Hall of Fame, that's the team of teams. Hey, Chris, I'll take this to my grave. I, this is not going to ever register. I go back there and and, and be introduced, uh, you know, uh, before the the induction ceremony and, and the speeches and and to be up there, you know, to, to, to give my speech. When I got elected, the next thought was, oh, my God, I've got to give a speech <laughs> in front of all of those guys and you're sandwiched in in front of all those guys and in front of all those people and it's very intimidating and 
And like I said, it's very humbling. I I can't even comprehend uh, being in the Hall of Fame. I'll be driving down the road, and all of a sudden, and even in the Hall of Fame when I'm when I get there, and and um, being part of the ceremonies and all of the things that we do and the golf tournament and things like that, it just is. It really is mind-boggling, and to be a part of it, I would always see a. You know, I'd meet a Hall of Famer in the clubhouse in my travels uh, throughout our seasons, and and I'd meet a Hall of Famer, and I'd go, man, what must that be like? And then here I am, you know. So, um, you know, it, all I wanted to do when I started out, Chris, was put a big league uniform on one time, and it turned into 22 years, and I still can't even comprehend the kind of career that I had Um you know, winning a world championship. People always ask me, what's my favorite memory? I said, I had so many great memories. I broke in in Chicago with the White Sox. And and what a grand old ballpark uh, Comiskey Park was. It was it was unbelievable. I'm sure glad I got a chance to play in that generation of, in a lot of the older ballparks and uh, Tiger Stadium. You know, I used to love going into all those old stadiums and you know, you just got goosebumps, you know, walking in because of all the great players and and things that had happened. You know, Fenway Park, uh, you know, Wrigley Field, things like that. Just um, amazing. Goose, you are the best. Once again, it means a lot to me. As a, I was a big fan growing up, still a big fan. Keep fighting for a game for our game. We'll always appreciate your time and uh, be well. And hopefully, we'll talk soon. Well, thanks, Chris, and good luck to you guys out there. From one Hall of Famer to another, Jack Morris, when you talk about a big game hunter, I mean this guy, and he was on some of the greatest teams of all time. You think about the 84 Tigers, you think about the Blue Jays team. I mean, how about this resume? Four-time World Series champion, World Series MVP, five-time All-Star, two-time MLB wins leader, AL strikeout leader pitched a no hitter in 1984 and of course his number 47 is retired in detroit so here's another hall of famer for you and how about this you're gonna learn his best pitch was that split finger and he learned it at the coliseum here's hall of famer jack morris he's one of the greatest big game pitchers of all time he's a hall of famer and the great Jack Morris is with us here on A's Cast Live. How are you? I'm doing well, and I'm enjoying this wonderful weather that you guys uh, take for granted every day. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know the problem is we got to pay a lot of money for it. That's the only <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> that's the only problem. How are you? Well, I'm doing great. You know, I'm watching a lot of baseball games, and I uh, get paid to do it, so you can't uh, really complain about something like that. Uh, it's been challenging with a team that's struggled the way the Tigers have, but uh, glad to be out here in Oakland, watch a team that is trying to push for a postseason berth. Yeah, how odd is it? We had, you know, they, they passed it out to us earlier today. It's yeah. the, the box score of the game that was suspended. Right. Uh, this is supposed to be a Tiger Stadium, but yet we're here in Oakland. <laughs> Welcome to Comerica. <laughs> <laughs> Which I really like. Beautiful ballpark, by the way. I love Comerica. Yeah, it's uh this is definitely a, a unique uh, situation today, uh, picking up a game. I, I think the most unique part about it is it's the first game I can ever remember that there won't be a national anthem played before it starts. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, yeah we're just going to go right it's already out and get been it going. Played. It's already been played. So when, when you think about your time in the big leagues 
and the kind of player that you were. You were such a big game pitcher. And what did the big moment always mean to you? Because you seem to always rise to the top. You know, I didn't always. I mean, I made mistakes in 93. I, I didn't uh, necessarily, 92, I shouldn't say, against uh, back-to-back years against uh, uh, Atlanta. I, I gave up a home run that I don't want to think about too much. But I always loved the idea of playing in postseason because you work so hard all year long and then all your colleagues go home and we all get to watch one team. And I, I really liked the fact that they were watching me and said I was watching them. That was, you know, baseball players are pretty much into what they do. And uh, to know that the rest of the baseball world was home and you got the chance to shine and and do your thing, that was always fun for me. Yeah, like I said, I, I was there in the 1984 World Series when you guys took on the Padres, and that 84 team that you guys had, you got out to that set, what was it, 35-5, and five, something like that, yep. that great start, and, it, and you just blew everybody away. You're truly one of the best baseball teams of all time. Talk what it was like playing on that team. You know, we were all relatively young. We hadn't had any guys become famous baseball players yet, uh, you know, Several of us got a lot of recognition after that and because of that year. But 84 was a culmination of a bunch of guys who had taken our whooping for a few years at the major league level and finally looked across the diamond and said, that's enough. We can play with anybody and we're going to have to prove it. And it started really at the second half of 83. Uh, Baltimore ended up winning. They went on to win the World Series, and we knew we could beat Baltimore. So we came to the spring training facility in 84 with a chip on our shoulders. We never let it go. And I don't think we all really were too enthralled with our record. We really, quite honestly, I don't think any of us really were aware of how historic it was was happening. You know, 17 in a row on the road. I don't know if that'll ever happen again. 35-5, and five, I don't know if that'll ever happen again. But we weren't really into that. We were just trying to play every game meaningful and, and show the other team that when when the game was over, we we're going to win. And I think recently you going into the Baseball Hall of Fame with Alan Trammell, and, and behind you you had one of the great shortstop second base combinations yeah. of all time with, with Lou Whitaker. But talk about what it was like and what it meant to you to go into the Hall of Fame with a guy you played so many games with. Yeah, it's like your little brother, right? I mean, Alan and I started our careers together. We were drafted the same year. Um, and uh, 13 years together in Detroit. Uh, you know, I feel the same way about Lou. Lou was drafted a year before us, and he played at A ball before, you know, we kind of leapfrogged him. Uh, but Tram and Lou came up together a couple weeks after I had already gotten to the big league. So it was a, a timing thing where we all were our young kids, got our chance, had to learn, had to, had to grow, and uh, finally we kind of started putting it together and, and when I look back at those two guys, they're everything that my career became is partly due to what they were able to do. Uh, you know, they were great, the great people. I love them to death. And uh, now it's up to baseball to recognize Lou for what he's accomplished because I think he's a Hall of Famer too. I, I, I definitely agree. One of the great second basemen of all time. And then after Detroit, you go back home. And you win a World Series in your hometown. And John Smoltz was just on the program. You two guys linked up in truly one of the greatest games that has ever played. Talk about winning the World Series and that Game 7, you against John, the Braves, the, the Twins. You had the, you had the walk-off with Kirby, Puckett in, the, in, in Game 6, and right. then you two guys just going after each other in Game 7. 
Well, you know, truly for me, it's almost like a fairy tale. It's like a dream come true. You write a book and you fantasize about something. And I think every kid wants to grow up in his own community and, and play for the team that is in their community and then have a chance to go to World Series and then be the MVP of that World Series. So everything that happened in 91 seemed like it, it was a fairy tale. I think our manager, Tom Kelly, summed it up when he looked back and reflected on the World Series. He says it was like a great book. He said chapter one, meaning game one, will grab you and you couldn't put the book down. And then every chapter after that was a better chapter leading up to the climax of the, the final game. And, you know, the final game, I'm not sure it was the greatest game played. It was my personal best. But a one to nothing game in 10 innings, usually people are not really excited about that. And yet there wasn't a person in the stadium or watching on TV that doesn't remember it. It was just that dramatic of a game. Yeah, think about that. You're pitching 10 innings in Game 7 of a World Series. We can't even get guys to go five innings now. (laughs) (laughs) We could. We could. They're just not listening to us. (laughs) You know, a lot of people, I think this season is the season that may flip baseball back because we had so many people talking about bullpens, and it's about bullpenning. And now we're seeing just about everybody's bullpen. It really doesn't matter. A lot of the contenders, you look at our bullpen, you look at a lot of teams' bullpens are just getting just chewed up. Yeah. We had uh, Jim Leland on the program yesterday, and Jim said, you know, the best bullpen is a pitcher that goes seven innings and saves the bullpen. Do you think we'll start to see a flip because the bullpen's getting so beat up this year that teams are going to have to realize we got to get more out of our starters? Well, I've always said this, and I suppose I should be careful, but it is my opinion. When ownership realizes they don't have to pay 14 guys in the bullpen, the game will change. You know, we had, uh, when I came to the big leagues, there was – uh, nine or ten pitchers on our on our staff. We had five starters. We had four or five guys in the bullpen. That was our that was our whole team. Now there's, you know, in September call-ups, God only knows how many guys. But you're right about that. Uh, and Sparky might have been ahead of his time because I remember he came to me when I was getting beat up in a lot of games late, and he came to me and says, "I'm not coming to get you today. You're you're going to have to go through this. You're going to have to figure it out." Because I need you to close out games so that I can have you be the guy to rest our bullpen. And so even back in the 80s, uh, Sparky understood the importance of having a rested bullpen uh, when you don't have, you know, a number one or number two guy on the mound. Yeah, Ray Fossey talks about one of the World Series championships for the A's in the 70s. They only used five pitchers the entire World Series. Just shows you how much things have changed. And that's the thing, too, about when you look at, like, your numbers in your career, when we people were talking about the Hall of Fame, it's like no one come – if there was a struggle, no one was come to get you in the fifth or sixth no. inning. You were going to be out there. Well, and, I, you know, I, I had a lot of people compare me to some of the great pitchers today. And they truly are great pitchers. Their velocity and, and some of the things they're accomplishing is something I never was able to accomplish. But you got to remember that they're getting help every game. They're not finishing the games. And the hardest thing to do is to win and, and do well in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings. Those are the toughest innings to do it. That's why they put so much value on a closer. And then I think about your time in Toronto. So you go from Minnesota to – it's like you're winning the World Series every year <laughs> – Toronto, that team, I think that team doesn't get enough love because no. that team you had all kinds of, whether it's Hall of Famers, 
All-Stars, MVPs. I mean, you had – we recently had a guy you played with. Dave Stewart was on the program, yep. and we talked to Dave. I mean, that team in Toronto you guys had for those two years was spectacular. Talk about your time up north. Well, it was, and I look at talent-wise of all the teams, and I was very fortunate I was on four world championship teams, but our two teams in Toronto were like all-star teams. And you here in the Oakland area know two of the guys very well, Dave Stewart, who you just had on, Ricky Henderson. Mm-hmm. He came over and helped us in 93, and – you know, when we had guys like that, uh, you know, it was just already a good team. And we get David Cohn, we get Dave Stewart, we get Ricky Henderson, you know, Paul Molitor replaces Dave Winfield. I mean, we just see to, seem to always upgrade. Uh, and, you know, we were already good, but we got even better the second year. It's like you guys were an all-star team. We were. It was, uh, it was one of those teams where I'm not sure it was, you know, we played as hard as some of the teams like the Twins in the in the – tigers that i was on but we could look up in the seventh inning and know if we had to turn it up a notch or not to win the game because we had that kind of ability to to turn it up in the fifth sixth inning if we needed to come back and win how did the forkball change your career change everything and it started right down there in that bullpen that's where i learned it believe it or not really i, I was in between starts back in about 1981 or two i think it was 82 and uh my teammate milt wilcox had played with bruce Sutter. And I was throwing my bullpen in between starts right here in Oakland. And, and Milt asked me if I'd ever thrown a forkball. And I said, I don't even know what it is. So he showed me. He says, that's the pitch that Suter's striking everybody out with. And uh, he looked at my hand and saw I had big fingers. And he said, you want to try it? And I said, yeah, let's try it. Because my slider was starting to get flat. And I wasn't having a put-away pitch anymore. It was just my slider. I I'd, I'd pri- started learning how to throw it properly. But I didn't have that massive break that I did when I was young. I was throwing more of a high school, what we call a roundhouse slider. Uh, and I started throwing the good crisp slider, but it was flat a lot. And I'd hang it and I'd get beat on it. And it was very similar in speed to my fastball. So he asked me if I wanted to try it, and I threw about 40 pitches. And he showed me a couple different grips. I was ready to quit on it. And about the 41st pitch, the bottom fell out of it. And I literally started giggling. I was just like a kid in a candy store. And I felt it. I knew what I had done different on that grip. Uh, I threw about five more, and four of the five just exploded down out of the zone. And I looked at Milton. I said, this is a game changer. This is unbelievable what I can do with a baseball. And two starts later, I was, or two two outings later, I was thrown in a game, and it just got better and better and better. So it went from an okay career to a Hall of Fame career, because of what you learned here in Oakland, and believe it or not, I, I will I will agree with that. It's uh, that's that forkball was a game changer for me, because a hitter couldn't sit fastball and forkball. They had to guess one or the other, and normally, even if they're when my splitter was my forkball was when I was first throwing it, I was the only guy in the American League throwing it. Now Dave Stewart learned it here. A bunch of guys ended up throwing it for a long time. Everybody was throwing it. But for about two years, nobody else in the baseball in American League was throwing it. Mike Scott picked it up in the National League a year later. And I could have told them it was coming. They couldn't have hit it. That's how effective it was. So to have a pitch that you have that kind of confidence in, I mean, it is a game changer. And I don't know why people have gone away from it. I think they'll come back to it. I think they just have to understand the work that's involved in staying strong in your ligaments because so many guys – our max velocity guys and the Tommy John issue with max velocity. Well, with the forkball, you've really got to work that 
those tendons in your elbows because it puts more stress. And I can show you off the air how by just spreading your fingers and holding your arm out straight, it puts pressure on your elbow. You can feel it in your elbow. But as long as you build the strength around there and those ligaments are strong, it won't, it won't, uh, they won't blow. Yeah, I was, a, I was a pitcher in college, and I got these little short yeah. fingers, so it didn't work for me. I tried. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, I tried the knuckleball. I remember <laughs> Phil Necro showing it to me one day, and I started laughing. I said, how do you do that? I couldn't not even close get a feel for it. It's an absolute honor to have you on the program, and thank you so much for coming down. We really appreciate it, and, and enjoy the weather. Enjoy yeah, the series. I always I, will. And obviously this place probably means a little something to you. You know, I've always had great memories here in Oakland. Uh, this The stadium's changed a little bit. You know, you got the – the big monster out there in center field but i remember a lot of great nights and great teams uh, from uh from the 80s through the 90s uh oakland always had and even now they have great teams it's an honor when you get to sit down with these legends let me tell you it's one of the coolest things about my job we also recently celebrated one of the greatest teams of all time the 1989 oakland athletics Carney Lansford and Terry Steinbach stepped by our set, and our set for home games is right by the A's dugout. And we got to talk to both of them. Of course, Carney's a former All-Star, a World Series champion, an AL batting champion, and a Silver Slugger Award winner. Terry Steinbach, great catcher, a three-time All-Star and World Series champion. These two men get to remember the 1989 World Championship Oakland Athletics team. Well, they're making their way over here, two world champions. Of course, Carney grew up in the Bay Area. Terry Steinbach, one of the great catchers in this organization's history, as we're going to be honoring truly one of the great teams of all time, the 1989 World Champions. And these two men were such a huge part of it. And it's always fun to look back at that season and truly one of the best teams in the history of the game and it's always an honor to have them on and, and talk a little bit a little A's baseball two teammates and their their other teammate going to be joining us Kurt Young's going to be here coming over here at uh, 4 30. Gentlemen thank you so much for stopping by we truly appreciate it pleasure, and uh it's going to be a big time. It's going to be a lot of fun tomorrow as we're going to honor your guys' team that won in 1989, truly one of the great baseball teams of all time. Yeah, it really was, and I, and I say that only because Tony LaRusso, who won three world championships, says that that team was the best team he ever managed. So that's saying something. <laughs> and it's going to be fun, right, getting together with all, all, all your old buddies and, and, and reminiscing about the good times with that ball club yeah it's nice a lot of guys got in we, we actually got in a couple nights ago uh, a lot of guys got in last night so we were able to visit at the hotel and it's always great to see these guys absolutely i mean uh you know it's uh feels just like yesterday you know even though it's been 30 years you come back and the stories start coming out and the memories start coming out and it's uh it's always fun to get together it's always fun to uh rehash you know some of the fun stuff and it's always great you know be back in the coliseum you know beautiful day and you know, it's going to be a great, great couple games. No, yeah, we're going to have a packed house the next two days. And when you really think about that team, and we were talking to Steve Vucinich earlier, who's been here <laughs> since 1968, is the thing about that team, you guys were rock stars. I was in high school at the time, and I remember just the big personalities that you had. I mean, the great players, but you guys were it in baseball. You know, what was interesting about that season is we did have a lot of fans that, 
But, but we had a lot of fans on the road. A lot of times when we would be in Kansas City or someplace like that, there would be as many Oakland A's jerseys and coats and hats and stuff like that as there were uh, Royals and other teams. And you think the personalities from Jose Canseco, to, I mean, it's just you think about Hindu. I mean, just the personality. They met. Obviously, it worked, but you guys were you were a traveling road show. We had a cast of characters. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But uh, uh, the thing that was fun about it is when it was time to play ball, we went out there and did what we had to do, and that's one through nine. That's our pitching staff. That's our bullpen. That was everybody. Great time, but as you're mentioning, though, we had that same cast of characters we got to spend, you know, eight eight months with. So, uh, you know, hotels, traveling, and and you know, the stories and the stuff that happened was was just as much fun off the field as what we got accomplished on the field. You know, it, it's sad the earthquake, obviously, what it did to the Bay Area, but also what it did to that World Series. How it just it changed that World Series, made it different than any other. What was it like? The celebration after, because I don't think it was like a normal celebration like most teams when, it, whether they win a championship in any sport. No, actually, you know, after, most teams when they win a world championship like that, they're popping champagne and so forth in the clubhouse. Well, they, they didn't have that for us there. They didn't think it was appropriate, uh, the A's front office. So they actually, when we bus back here, we had champagne here. So we had to wait till the bus got back here. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was still phenomenal, but it wasn't the normal celebration. We didn't get the... Uh, the parade and all that, yeah. so, you know, but they kind of made up for that a uh, couple years ago. So, yeah, because that's all a, good. That's <laughs> the thing I think about now, especially with the teams from the '70s. You grew up watching Carney. It's like it's like it's it's like they never really got their due. And it's a great thing about the A's front office now is that these teams, your guys's team yeah. and the '70s teams, are being honored and you're getting your due. Absolutely, and uh, you know, it, it's it's for the fans. You know, what I mean, we we had such a good time playing. We remember, you know, we were playing. This place was full. And when we first started, Carney, you know, was here longer than I was. You know, attendance wasn't great, but the A's put together a, you know, solid team. We were playing, we were winning, we were having fun, and it was awesome to see the people just start coming, coming, and rooting, and, and Hindu section out there, and, yeah. and you know, the whole the whole thing just grew and turned out to be just a phenomenal ride. No doubt, it was a phenomenal ride. And we have, do you know how many guys are going to actually be showing up from the team for tomorrow? I actually don't know, but there's a couple that, that I wasn't sure if they were going to be here that are already here. So I get we won't even know until tomorrow. I'm sure some guys will be coming in tomorrow morning. Yeah, it's going to be a, a packed house. And, and, you know, for a lot of us, you know, we the 70s teams were, you know, there's only two organizations that have won three straight. Yeah. That's the Yankees and the A's. You guys had that opportunity. I, I recently had Tony LaRusso on the program. He says, to this day, it still bother, bothers him that he did. I mean, he's in the Hall of Fame, but it still bothers him. Does it bother you guys that you didn't win more? Uh, it does. You know, every time I see Tony, we talk about the same thing. that We felt we should have won at least two of those World Series. And, you know, the first one, I think, with the, against the Dodgers, we had swept the Red Sox in the playoffs. So, you know, we were sitting around for a while while the Dodgers and the, the Mets were playing a five-game, you know, series. And so they were like, we just, I don't think we played enough uh, inner squad games and stuff like that to stay sharp offensively. So that wasn't our best series. Yeah, that happens in baseball quite a bit. It's, it's great to go out and whack somebody, but then baseball's a game that's supposed to be played every day, and when you're not playing it every day, it kind of changes the routine. You don't have that magic formula. You know, you don't have that, that, that potion that you know exactly what's right. There might be some teams that struggled, you know, down the end to make the playoffs. It might be better for a team like that, you know, to get some rest. Uh, our case, you know, winning the amount of games that we did, and as Carney alluded to, you know, sweeping Boston. Um, yeah, you know, I think though that that time off uh, might have been spent a little bit differently. But I also want to say too, you know, you got to remember when you go into those games, we expect to win. 
you know, so yeah, so is, is there disappointment that we, you know, I don't want to say only, but we only won the one out of three? Yeah, because I mean, our whole process was going out there and winning. And when you fall, you know, that much short, you know, that's kind of a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, when you think, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, you know, to that point too, you know, um, we learned from that situation, not, not staying sharp or whatever. So when that earthquake happened in 89, Tony in the front office made the decision to fly the whole team back to Arizona. And we got there and we had a packed crowd. We're facing our own pitchers in inter-squad games. So, you know, the Giants have stayed here and took batting practice at Candlestick Park, kind of the same thing we did the year before. So when we came back, we were in midseason, in midseason form where I think they struggled a little bit. Out yeah, of the gate. and facing those pitchers? Yeah. <laughs> That's going to keep you sharp. <laughs> and, you know, one thing that, that I love about your team, I mean, you guys were all-stars, and you already had, you know, Ricky Anderson, one of the greatest players of all time. Talk about Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco. But then you had these guys, like Dave Stewart became a star once he got into Oakland. His issues, and then now he becomes an, a Hall of Fame closer. So you had guys that were remade here underneath the umbrella of, of Tony La Russa. Right, and I remember when Stu first joined our team, uh, our starting pitching was, was so bad, we were in a bad shape. And he actually met us on the road and threw a bullpen for Dave Duncan and Tony La Russa. And uh, they ended up signing him. In his first start, he's facing Roger Clemens in, in Fenway Park. And the odds of us winning that at that point, but he outpitched him and it always did from that day on. And he, he never let Roger outpitch him. So that was a, that was a really interesting story. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, the, the battles that you had with, with, with Stu and, and Roger Clemens. What was it like catching Stu? Because this guy's won in 20 games. He's fierce. He's mean. That fork ball that he had, what was it like catching him? It's awesome. Like you said, he's going to win 20 games. I mean, you know, <laughs> as players, as Stu, if, if Stu took the mound, when he took the mound, again, you know, we expected to win. Um, but he was, uh, he was fun out there. Um, he was so determined. Um, you know, the way he executed his pitches, the way he went about his preparation, the way he, he trained himself. And he was, uh, he was probably one of the best uh, number one guys, I think, that we could ever have. He wanted that matchup. If, if we had a, you know, a two-game losing streak or something, Stu's the guy we wanted out there to break that thing and get us back on the winning track. You know what's interesting, interesting story as far as that goes? If you remember Joaquin Andahar, he came over to us from the St. Louis Cardinals. We had won 20 games over in the National League. Well, he said one time on the bus that none of our pitchers could ever win 20 games because they didn't know how. And I remember Stu looking at him and going, is that right? <laughs> I won't ever win 20 games. goes on to four straight years. Yeah. So I thank Joaquin for that. Actually. <laughs> and being the black belt, I think he's the last guy you want to make. Exactly, angry, right? exactly. And, you know, we have Ray their championships they only used five pitchers during the world series just crazy the game started to change and really with your staff now we start to see lefty specialists we started to see that talk about how that was kind of the game was changing while you guys were doing it the way bullpens were being handled well it was awesome because uh tony and dunk you know were the ones who thought that where Hunnicutt, you know became our left-handed specialist and i can't tell you how many games you know were won because of one big pitch of one big at bat where we could bring in you know the lefty lefty matchup the righty righty matchup with guys who were comfortable in that role and as you alluded to earlier get to Eck in the ninth you know and the game's over so it, it was it was fun to uh, to, to see it, it was fun as a catching point you know to try to plan that a little bit you know you got a, a good right-handed hitter coming up and and you know we got a guy in in the pen that's successful with the guy on deck hey we'll be careful with that guy get the guy on deck and you two both played in an era where baseball was really changing for the good. You're now having more 
games on television, the cable money starting to come into the game, attendance is growing. What was it like to play in that era of baseball, which has really led to where we are today? You know, uh, my first year with the Red Sox, 1981, um, Joe Rudy, a teammate, had a place in, in Huntington Beach or something down there, and we stayed the night at his house, and he's always reading these magazines and books and all this stuff. And he says to me one day, he goes, it's going to be amazing what happens here because pretty soon if you're, say, a Red Sox fan and you're in California, you're going to be able to watch every single game. Same with any team. Any team that you like, you can watch all these games. And at that time, they didn't televise all of our games in Anaheim and in Boston. So um, it's kind of weird to think that that was actually going to happen. But to sit there and watch that all unfold, it's been crazy. ESPN comes along, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't have that. <laughs> Think about that. I mean, if you would have told somebody in the late 70s, hey, we're going to create this channel that's 24-7, that's just running sports and sports highlights, right. they would have told you you're insane, and exactly. now look at everything that we have. Yeah. Well, I can just tell you, being from a small town in New Ulm, you know, Minnesota, bought my dad the disc package, and, and he watched every A's game, you know, all, all 162 games. And, you know, that was not that long ago was, was unfathomable that that could happen. Yeah, to, to listen to, to get the twins, you just listen to the radio. Yep, yep. Crazy. And so much <laughs> has changed to where it is. And, uh, seven games last year and here they are again they just took three or four from the Astros swept the Yankees now the Giants are in town there's just something about this second half magic I don't know what it is it's really been going on since like the year 2000 but there's something about once these guys hit the second half away they go you know it's interesting and I, well, I think Bob Melvin does such a, a, a tremendous job as we were talking about this on the drive over to the Coliseum today he has basically a, a whole new team every year that he has to figure these guys out. A number of new players coming in, but he, he's able to do that. And I think sometimes it takes a half a season for these guys to gel together and get to know each other and become a team. So Yeah, and, 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 and Terry, this is something that, that most guys don't have to deal with as catchers, but if you look over the years now who the starting staff and the relievers are at the start of the year and then where they are at the end of the year, it's like every year it changes. I mean, as a catcher, that's got to be tough that your staff evolves throughout the season. It's extremely difficult. You know, you get a guy on third and you don't know the pitcher that's on the mound. Let's say he just got called up or you just traded for him and you don't know what his ball does. You don't know how he's going to throw with, with that pressure of that guy on third. Is he going to be in the dirt? Does the ball have movement or not? So, yeah. It takes difficulty doing that. Also, the mental part of it. I want to know with my pitchers what guy that I can turn the screws on a little bit. Walk out to that mound, maybe chew the guy out a little bit, and say, "Hey, let's go." You know, come on, let's let's pitch out of this mess. You know, or the other guy that you might have to, you know, kind of take a little bit easier on. So, and that takes time. So, to be able to do what they're doing in that shorter notice is is, is a great accomplishment. And let's end on this because you know we talk about Melvin and being able to handle because that's a big part. Of being a manager is you got to handle the personalities you got to you got to handle the egos and i think of the crazy personalities that were on your team <laughs> and the egos that were on your team what was it like playing for tony Larusa? it was awesome playing for him because i mean he was so focused every game i mean he didn't miss a trick i mean you know he, he all he wanted to do is win and all they asked you to do as a player is to give 100 percent of whatever you had that day and who wouldn't want to ask their players to do that and how tough is it to do that so he wouldn't let us just slide by. If he felt us sliding by every once in a while, he, he'd kick us in the rear a little bit as a team and, and get us back on track. So it was awesome. I loved it. He was, he was very focused. As a young player, he was awesome to play for because, as Carney said, yeah, you got to win. He says, we are about winning. And his only rule was play the game hard, play the game right. 
If we do that 162 times, we had strategically planned meetings in spring training where he had this Rubik's Cube, <laughs> how he was going to say what, when, and how. And many, many times we had meetings outside the, uh, the, the screen back there. Tony, what's up? I don't like what I'm smelling. What do you mean you don't like what I'm smelling? I, thought, I think you guys are complacent. You just swept the Yankees, and now you're not going to care about the White Sox. Ah, I don't like it. You know, He had his way to make sure as players we were where we needed to be when we started each series. So he, he's grinded all 162. Oh. Every, every game. During batting practice, every single game he comes to third base when I'm taking ground balls. You ready? Because I'm ready, man. Just, you know, we lost yesterday. We don't want these guys to see a down team, so let's you know, show some energy out there or whatever. So he just didn't miss a trick. <laughs> so we have a new Hall of Fame that this year is the second year, and Mark McGuire is going to go in, and, and Vita Blue, we just talked to Vita yesterday, is one of the great – I mean, you grew up watching him, Carney, yeah, yeah. one of the great pitchers of all time. I guarantee you guys are going to be in that. And it's going to, you know, it's going to be really cool just to see, you know, the guys from the 70s, the guys from your era, and then at some point guys who have played sure. recently. But I think it's going to mean a lot for all of you once you finally get that green jacket and you get to go in. That'll be really special because there's been some phenomenal players come through this organization. So to maybe one day be a part of that would be, just like I said, an unbelievable honor. Well, you guys played in one of the best eras, no question about it, and we're going to honor you tomorrow as World Series champions. Thank you for stopping by. How about my set here? Not bad. Very nice. Very nice. Very nice. Well, we're, the, we're the only team in baseball. You know, the A's, how many through all these years, they're the first team. We're the only team. It's a 24-7 <laughs> streaming station on TuneIn. Major League Baseball, we're the only team allowed to do this. And right now, we're the number one team in baseball in our podcast, our downloads. We're number one in baseball. So what we're doing here, we're trying to build something. Basically, you guys have started all, and we're just trying to keep it going. <laughs> Who knows? You could be the next ESPN. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thank you so much, right, gentlemen. Enjoy you. it because you've earned it. Uh, so great sitting down with these guys. And, you know, we're doing this A's Hall of Fame now. You know, we've had two classes. I guarantee you both these guys are going to be in the A's Hall of Fame. And then for me, this next guy, Kurt Young, longtime pitching coach, one of the best pitching coaches that we've ever seen. You think of all the pitchers who have completely blossomed under Kurt Young and now the pitching coach with the San Francisco Giants. But he was a pitcher and pitched for the A's. Won a World Series with the team in 1989 and means so much to this franchise, our old friend, Kurt Young. The lefty, Kurt Young, is with us. Always one of our favorites. How are you? Hi, Chris. How are you? Nice to see you. So we just had Carney and Terry on, and we're going to honor your team and truly one of the great teams in the history of the game. And it's so fitting that you're going to be here so you can be a big part of it. Just how much is that going to mean to you? Well, it's, it's a little bit of a different situation, you know, being in the Giants uniform, but it's all about the memories that we had and all the great things that we did really in the late 80s there with the, with the three teams that we had going to the World Series. But, you know, tomorrow's about uh, celebrating winning the World Series, and, and you can never find anything bad with that. It'll be great to see, all, you know, all the old teammates and some of the coaches are coming as well. Uh, so it's definitely a, a time to celebrate. It's amazing how much talent you guys had on that team. Well, you, you could say the team really had everything. You know, you go around the outfield and you had monsters, and the infield was solid. We had starting pitching. We had Steiny and, and Ron Hassey behind home plate. And, you know, we, we had a lot of good parts in that team, and, and that's why you end up winning. No doubt about it, and I'm glad we're celebrating. I think, I think the A's, this new regime, is doing an unbelievable job of 
honoring the teams in the 70s, now honoring your team, because you need to celebrate that history. Because, and, and I know for your group, everybody's like, God, we only won one. But still, to go to three straight World Series and to win one is such a special accomplishment. Well, you learn it the longer you're in this game, how hard it is to win. And, you know, the A's are doing it now with the, with the young core they have. The Giants had their, their little time where, you know, winning three World Series, that's definitely some memories that they build up. But, you know, anytime you can win and win consistently, that, that's, that's really the pride of every organization as you go along. And, and you think about those years with Tony and, and Dunk and the coaches that we had and the team we had and, and now you realize you see why we won. You know, when I think about you and your legacy with the A's as a player, as a pitching coach, we recently had on Barry Zito, we were talking about you on this show. What does that mean to you that when we're going to look back at a lot of the great pitchers that have come through this organization and you're a part of, of, of these Cy Youngs and the greatness of these pitchers? Yeah, very fortunate to be part of what we went through starting in 2004, which was a tough year right at the end, to getting in the playoffs in 2006 and advancing into, you know, the next round against the Tigers with, you know, the, the Zito and the Dan Heron and the, the Rich Harden. And, and those kind of guys you think back about and, and you realize how good they were. And the other thing you realize how quick these guys' careers can go because – you know, you look at it five, six, seven years later, they're out of baseball, which, uh, you know, you learn how to enjoy every single day with the guys you're with as a coach and, and I remember as a player. But, you know, different groups of pitchers that came through at that time and, and you know, with the Kendall Gravemans and A.J. Griffins that we went through the playoffs with in, in 12, 13, and 14. So... Some great memories, no doubt, and winning. And, and you know, you, you do. You have some bad tastes in your mouth because you always feel like you had good enough team to, to go farther, and it didn't happen. So I think about your relationship with a lot of these guys. Do you keep in touch with a lot of your old pitchers? Well, with texting, now you do. And it's kind of funny. I actually, we played in Arizona last week, and I happened to see Dan Heron out on the field, uh, you know, with his kids. So you run into them on occasion, and, and – you know, they, I think they know you're always thinking about them, and it is. There's so many memories that you had with everybody, and, and with, you know, the art of texting now, it's pretty easy to stay in touch. So when you think about Dave Duncan, truly one of the great pitching coaches of all time, Tony Larusa, obviously in the Hall of Fame, how much in your career do you look back and do you take from them and you utilize it with the work you still even do to this day? Well, quite, you know, quite a bit. Player, players can read coaches very, very well, and it's all about being consistent every day. You know, you're, you're going to have runs of winning, and you're going to go through some tough times, both, both as a team and individuals. And, and I think that's, that's the respect I try and get from these guys, that I'm going to be consistent every single day, good, bad, or in between. And I think that goes a long way because you remember that as a pitcher. You know, when you're struggling, you're looking for help, you're, you're trying to find some answers, and, and Dunk was there for me on that, that situation. So, you know, a lot of times guys are looking for things. A lot of times they aren't. But if they are, you, you have to have some answers. And think about your career as a pitching coach. 
you've gone from, okay, we have these analytics, we have this new data, it's the Moneyball era, to now where we are where it's StatCast, it's TrackMan, it's Rapsodo, it's these high-tech cameras. It's amazing the technology and how it's changed the game while you've been in the game. Exactly. You know, we started with a video camera that you'd take a guy throwing a baseball on the side and just trying to dissect his his mechanics. But, you know, really, in general, it's all it's all great information that we all can get as coaches and players now. And and you have to pick the information you want, maybe as a coach to pass along to them or for them as players. You know, they understand all the technology maybe sometimes better than us as coaches because they've been around it so long. But, you know, any, any information that they can grab for themselves that can help them when they're on the mound, uh, I'm all for it. Every organization is definitely all for it, and it's all good information. Eno Saris of The Athletic, we were over at your guy's yard and j- talking to Jeff Samarja, and he's like, I don't want any of it. So it's an interesting some players really delve into it and want it, and some guys want no part of it. How, how do you how do you deal with that as a pitching coach? Well, it's really an individual thing, you know. Shark. I mean, there's been times where we got some information on him throwing on the side that I think maybe helped us, and maybe some pitch calling stuff in games coming up. So, either way, there's information whether it's you know a guy's split is doing the right thing or his fastball is right where it should be. So that's the pitch you're going to go to the majority of the time. But uh, like I say, it's an individual thing. If guys want it, we have it. Our analytical staff has it, and we'll definitely put it into play. Let's end on this. Years ago, I'll never forget, I was standing right over here, and you came down the tunnel. You said, thank you for last night. And it was when I was ripping people, and my I, I get in this fight with these young guys all the time. Oh, pitchers' records don't matter. And I go, do not tell a starting pitcher his record does not matter. Do you remember that post-game show? Absolutely, Chris. I mean, you know, that that's the personal thing. I mean, you pitch a game, you perform, numbers are numbers. But any starting pitcher or reliever that has a save next to his name or a W next to his name, I truly believe that's definitely a gain of confidence going into your next game. Whether you do give up runs, you get a win next to your name, it gives you a feeling of accomplishment and definitely helps you going forward. Now, you know, that that L gets next to your name as well as a pitcher, and and those are things that, you know, you got to help them get over, get beyond. Your next game is the most important one. Emo tipped me off. He goes, yeah, we used to be listening to you on the way home, and I'm like, why didn't you guys ever call in? (laughs) Well, you had too many callers. We didn't want to be 25th on the list. (laughs) You would have got to front of the line. You know how much you mean to this fan base and to this organization. We truly do miss you. We we, we wish you all the best with the Giants, and I think it's going to be real special to get you guys all together tomorrow, 1989, truly one of the greatest baseball teams of all time. So enjoy that with all your guys. We're going to have a lot of fun. Appreciate that, Chris. What a good group to have. couple Hall of Famers and World Series champions. want to thank Goose Gossage, Jack Morris, Carney Lansford, Terry Steinbach, and Kurt Young. Thanks for listening to A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. We will see you hopefully in the playoffs at the Coliseum. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 